Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. So recently, Ruth asked me to do the call of worship for this Sunday service, and I was humbled and honored as usual. She informed me that July was Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. This information was new to me. I had only known of Mental Health Awareness Month in May, believing it was to be inclusive for all. So the inner nerd in me did some research, and I found this out. July was designated as Minority Mental Health Awareness Month in 2008 to bring awareness to the unique struggles that underrepresented groups face in regards to mental illness in the United States. As I read this, I had thoughts. So listeners, now's the time to sit back, slowly sip on your coffee, and stare out that non-stained glass window, because I'm going to take you on the Oh, so thrilling, but not really thrilling. Mind of Darren. So here we go. I hate this notion of needing a Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Why do you hate it? Because it does not fix, but simply highlight the root problems of discrimination and bias within our current mental health practices. Well. Why is there discrimination and bias within mental health practices? Because of white supremacy. Does everything have to do with white supremacy? Yes, and don't you forget it. Okay, someone needs a glass of wine. So how does white supremacy have a part in this? Because white supremacy teaches people of all groups that white non-white, non-cisgender, non-gender conforming, non-males, and non-heterosexuals are not human. So how can you properly treat someone's mental health if you subconsciously or consciously do not think that person is human? You don't. And how can someone seek treatment for their mental health if they consciously or subconsciously don't think that they are human? They don't. Then what would you like to see differently? So much of spirituality and mental health is around knowing who you are. Yes, and who you are is such a big question. I mean, are we stardust? Are we good? Are we bad? Are we God? Who are you? No one can tell us who we are. The best that people can do is guide us to those answers. But to be able to properly guide others, whether it be in the form of a teacher, a minister, a therapist, or a friend, one must have great wisdom of one's self. Which brings us back to the earlier question, who are you? And how much of you is dependent on the oppression or dehumanization of yourself and others? The Toltec, 
who were known thousands of years ago throughout southern Mexico as women and men of knowledge and artists of love and the spirit say that we people are masters because we have the power to rule and control our own lives. Our power is so strong that whatever we believe comes true. You create yourself whatever you believe that you are. Today, I believe that I am stardust and love and earthseed and magic and holy and whole. Who do you believe that you are? What will you use your power to create today? Come, let us worship together. Hello, everyone. I just need to take a breath. Um, last October, I was here speaking on mental health as well um, during Suicide Awareness Week, and so I'm so pleased and happy to be back. Um, I do have a favor to ask of everyone, as I did last time. I just need some energy. So if you guys can just reach out and send me some energy, thank you. That always helps me to calm down. So today is the last day of June, and it's leading into July, which is Minority Mental Health Month Awareness. And this month is dedicated to bringing awareness to those underserved populations who are dealing with mental health needs. It may not be a mental illness, it may just be mental wellness that people are lacking. And so please be prepared to hear some things that may make you feel uncomfortable. Although keep in mind discomfort is the first step to growth. There's no way that I can touch everything today in the time allotted. However, I do want to speak, I do want to pique your interest in an effort to make you feel compelled to go out and learn more. I want to start out with some statistics that may surprise you and they may not. 19% of European American populations have mental health disorders. Almost 17% of African American populations have been diagnosed. Almost 23% of Native Americans and indigenous folks have been diagnosed. 13.5% of Asian Americans have been diagnosed. 25% of multi-ethnic people have been diagnosed. And a little over 15 people, 15% of Latinx individuals have been diagnosed. These numbers stand out to me. However, they are not the true representation of all who are living with mental health needs. Many individuals come close and choose not to access services, and then they're not diagnosed. Although some become diagnosed and then choose not to seek out services after that. In 2015, 48% of the 19% of European Americans access treatment for their mental health needs. Only 22% of the 13.5% of Asian Americans reached out for treatment. African Americans and Latinx individuals came in at 31% of each of their populations choosing to receive services. Why not 100%? Let's think about that. Even more, 
Let's think about how many individuals needing help have not even come forward to be diagnosed in the first place because of fear. Fear of the way that they may be viewed, fear of how they may be treated or not treated by professionals, and the fear of not actually getting better after accessing help. In an effort to be authentic to myself, I'm going to focus on the community that I know best, which is the black or African-American community. As previously stated, almost 17% of the population have been diagnosed with mental health need. That's over 7 million people. Of that 7 million people, only 31% or 2.1 million people have access treatment. That could be medications, it could be therapy, or a combination of both have tried to access services. And if you notice, I said tried to access services. There are many barriers to receiving services in our community, such as fear of doctors and other professionals, lack of transportation, insurance, stigma within our own society, as well as stigma in the world. We also have a lack of culturally competent providers. More importantly, we have a lack of culturally sensitive providers. A therapist can be trained in cultural awareness and have cultural aspects and they can be considered culturally competent. However, this does not often coincide with being culturally sensitive to the needs of the people. I can give a similar example uh, about myself in 2015. Um, I had what I thought was food poisoning. Uh, I was vomiting violently. I know you guys want to hear that. Um, I had severe abdominal pain. It, was, it felt worse than when I was in labor with my, my son. Um, yet I was unwilling to go to the hospital due to fear. Thanks to my mom, who's sitting here today in this lovely white outfit, looking very angelic. Um, <laughs> She decided to take me to the hospital despite my pleads not to go. Um, after we arrived, we found out that I actually had appendicitis. Um, if I had not gone to the doctor, the hospital, my appendix would have burst and I probably would have died because of my fears. Um, a little side note, I, this was 2015, so about four years ago, and my mom and I were just talking about it the other day. And she said, Isha, you would have died. And I had never thought of it that way until the other day when she said that. But that brings me to an example, a medical example. But just imagine if I was having a psychotic episode and had a fear of going to the doctor. Or if I just didn't have access to transportation to get there. But my cause... The cause of the fear is society. People of color and black people specifically could have really been harmed. They can really be harmed because of fear. Again, trauma, intergenerational trauma, and the effects of black and brown people with this topic is for another day. We just don't have enough time to dig deep into all of the things that affect it. But like I said, imagine if I was having a psychotic episode 
That's life-threatening, right? I believe so. What if I didn't have the family support to insist that I take my health seriously? What if I didn't have proper insurance coverage or access to transportation to get to the hospital? Imagine me on a city bus hearing voices in my head telling me to harm myself or someone else. How could that day have turned out very differently for me? This is not a single story just isolated to Isha. This is a collective story for our community. We as people of color and indigenous folks and underserved and marginalized groups can help to change the narrative within our own communities. In fact, it's a part of our responsibility to do what we can. I spoke earlier about stigma within our community, and this is where we can start. We can educate ourselves and our children on what mental health truly is. We can stop judging, stigmatizing, and discriminating against individuals who need our support. We can start caring for others and learning healthy coping skills, creating emotional boundaries, and singing, as I do. Each one can find what fits into their world and into their life. All I'm asking is that we start somewhere. Stop focusing on the person. Stop focusing, forcing the person to be silent. Hear and listen to them. Dig deeper into faith. Allow the church, although the church is not the end all be all, it is a support system that can work for some. I believe in that for myself. We will not all be the perfect support for everyone, but I can tell you that the intent is everything. It is hard for us to step outside of ourselves and often to ask for help. Let me say I'm the first to be the one in the back to not ask for help, but let's make it easier for everyone to be able to ask us for help. I hope that much of this has been hard for you to hear today. I hope that it has not made you feel warm inside. Although there is hope in these stories. The hope lays in the work that we do within bettering our mental health system and how we can better support one another. We need to do more and we need to do better. Now I am placing a personal responsibility onto each and every one of you to go home and marinate. That means to think about this, start reading about this, learning about this, sharing this with everyone that you know. And then let it bubble into your spirit so that you can be a living testament of what mental wellness means to you and to those around you. Thank you. A few weeks ago, I attended a surprisingly large community gathering in greater Minnesota to eat pizza, listen to music, help local churches raise money for various charities and support a colleague. There must have been 600 or more people gathered in a churchyard surrounded by a bunch of cornfields, all having a good time, waiting for our pizza to be cooked 
and a band that was sometimes in tune and sometimes not. And my friend and I found one another in this sea of people, and she invited me to sit with her family right next to a blaring speaker. Sitting in our circle was my friend's mother and her sister, who was white, and her boyfriend, who was black. And we all shared our pizza and tried to ask one another quick questions between songs. Needless to say, there wasn't much conversation. But at one point, I was sitting on the ground, and my partner, Rebecca, was sitting in a chair behind me, and she said, you can lean back on my legs if you want to. But I didn't want to. I just sat forward, hugging my legs. And I looked over at my friend's sister, and she and her boyfriend weren't holding hands or showing any kind of physical affection. They never touched during the whole time we were there. Consciously or unconsciously, the four of us were all aware that we were in a sea of white. We were all in a sea of heterosexual conformity. We were all navigating the deceptive waters of Minnesota nice that looks tranquil on the surface, but often hides a wicked undertow that can pull you down with surprising speed and accuracy at pinpointing your vulnerabilities. Our bodies didn't feel safe. And as my partner and I drove home, I sat with the cognitive dissonance, the mental distress of living in any kind of body that challenges the domineering supremacist narrative of what is human and what is not, what is normal and what is not, what is acceptable and what is not. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not equating my experience of walking around in this white, older lady body with the experiences of those walking around in black and brown bodies or gender-fluid bodies or differently abled bodies. I'm not. I look fairly wrinkly and white, and I have a lot of power in this framework by the simple fact of this color of skin. What I am trying to say is the white supremacist framework that interfaces with all the other isms and seeks to define our humanness is actually a pretty narrow definition of the human expression. White, male, cisgendered, heterosexual, college-educated, youthful, able-bodied, middle-to-upper-middle-class. Still, as many elders will attest, you eventually age out of the power grid. We are all trying to hold on to our sanity while navigating this incredibly trauma-inducing hierarchy of assumed superiority of people perceived as white and the structures and institutions created to sustain that notion. And it is killing us, all of us. It's messing with our minds and our hearts. Ibe, the African spoken word artist, describes living in this society as trouble in mind. He starts by quoting James Baldwin. 
To be black and conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. And then he writes, even if you're not raging mad, you may be losing your mind. In other words, trouble in mind. To be black and conscious in America is to always question reality, to constantly hold it to a microscope and analyze its hidden parts." End quote. Our bodies and our minds are an integrated whole, and the path of mental health and wholeness is mighty hard when we live in a society that is so cruel and inhospitable to human bodies. Beautiful, wondrous, magical human bodies. I sit in different circles with people living with mental health, mental illness all the time, and we are working to create healthy and whole mind-body practices to keep and maintain balance in a world that is flat-out hostile towards living with a brain illness, regardless of color, class, or creed. We talk about stigma all the time. All the time, the stigma of mental illness experienced in black communities and gay communities, in school communities and this church community, in conservative or liberal communities. We talk about when and how to advocate for yourself and others. We talk about renaming mental illness and calling it brain illness because we believe it better describes what's going on a chemical imbalance that is being experienced in the physiology of the brain. I often wonder what mental health statistics would look like, what people living with mental illness would feel like if we lived in a world that revered, loved, and cared for absolutely every expression of the human body. What if every institution and every assumption emerged from a faithful tenant that your body, in all its intricacy and complexity, was understood as an expression of heaven and earth and sun and moon, and that it is holy and it is wondrous? Until that time of beloved community, of beloved, of beloved body-loving community for my own sanity, I will do my best to follow these three spiritual practices that have come to be my solid ground of trying to live in this white body with integrity, service, and joy, and stand in solidarity with black, brown, gay, bi, trans, different abled bodies. First, to love myself. This beautiful mind, body, spirit configuration of being human. Not a fluffy, cuddly kind of love, but a love that is compassionate. Challenging of my assumptions, brave, forgiving, and ultimately says, I pledge unconditional friendship with myself. I pledge unconditional friendship with myself. Second, second, I practice using my power, my voice, my body 
to stand in solidarity with marginalized mind, body, spirit configurations of being human. I flat out favor voices of color. I favor voices of color and other voices that are marginalized. There may be a million voices going off in my mind about how this or that is a mistake or this or that can't be real or this or that is not healthy. But I have promised myself to listen for the surplus wisdom inherent at the margins. I listen for the real rather than reality. Author and theologian Georges Regeer calls that juxtaposition between real and reality as those things that have been pushed below the surface and repressed in the formation of the dominant version of reality and have escaped the control of the system. That's the wisdom I listen for. I show up as best I can with all my clumsiness and bravery and love, and today my act of showing up will be to march with the stop separating families, no Muslim ban, and no ice raids, starting today at 2 p.m. and ends at our church. I truly hope you will join me in this act of loving and caring for sacred human bodies and for your own mental health. Finally, I have a few trusted people to whom I tell the absolute truth. Absolute truth. Some of whom are in this church. I don't try to make myself look better. I don't try to make myself look braver or more compassionate than I am. I weep at the state of things and the inner state of me. I trust the covenant of love between us. Rest for a bit and then begin again in love. In this month of mental health awareness, particularly for those living in marginalized communities, let us begin by loving our holy bodies. Understand our particular power and vulnerabilities within the system of white body supremacy and find ways to create justice that are grounded in love and compassion. You, my friends, you arise from the strength of heaven. You arise from the firmness of the earth. You arise from the splendor of fire and the deep of the sea. And you are holy and whole, just as you are. May it be so, and amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.